Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off-limits. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Staying Home with Wit. I have a super special guest today, Mina Harris. I have been so freaking excited to talk to her. She is so inspirational. She's an attorney, author, mother, entrepreneur, founder of the groundbreaking Phenomenal Woman Action Campaign, and is recognized as an influential voice for women's equality. Most recently, Mina was the head of strategy and leadership at Uber. In addition to Uber, she has advised major brands on corporate citizenship, social responsibility, and diversity and inclusion. In June 2020, Mina published her first book. It's a children's book, Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, which Sunny is obsessed with. It's based on a true story from the childhood of Mina's mother and aunt. Next year, on January 19th, 2021, Mina will publish her second children's book, Ambitious Girl. She's so incredible. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation already inspired. Here is Mina Harris. I want to talk about you becoming a lawyer. Did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer? Like, were you one of those little girls that was like, I want to be a lawyer when I grow up? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was definitely because of the family I grew up in. I was yeah surrounded by lawyers. Obviously, you know, my aunt is a lawyer. My mom is a lawyer. My dad is a lawyer, but also my grandmother, who was a huge figure for all of us and was like a second mother to me. She herself wasn't a lawyer. She was a scientist, but all wow. like, most of her friends from the civil rights movement who were, you know, our extended family, many of them were also lawyers. And so I had this, you know, really, I think special, unique perspective on being able to do good in the world through a law degree. Kamala actually talks about this a lot in the context of the civil rights movement and how she grew up as well, that, you know, the, the lawyers were the heroes, right? There were people who were fighting for racial justice and equality. And I had not quite the exact same, you know, perspective. I, I didn't grow up in the sixties, but I was able to see my mom and aunt in particular, right? Out in the world doing good things with a law degree. It's funny, I had a recent experience with a colleague earlier this year, and I don't know how this came up in conversation, but she basically was saying how when she was growing up, she wanted to be a lawyer because when she would go over, you know, her classmates' houses, 
the friends that had staircases. They were always the parents who were lawyers. And I kind of <laughs> laughed at that because I was like, I mean, they had like a second story. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, oh, I want a staircase. You know, she did. She grew up poor and was like, I want a staircase. And so I'm going to aspire to that. And it was just kind of funny to me because that definitely was not what, you know, motivated. That was not how I viewed, you know, lawyers. Instead, it was, right. it was public service and, and social justice. So, you know, there was that. But then on the other hand, I feel like, you know, I've always been a very creative person and I've always known that. I spent summers throughout my childhood in art camp always really into visual arts and sort of knew that I was like a little bit different than, you know, my my family members. So in that way, it also sometimes felt like the path of least resistance, right? And that like, Mm -hmm. it's all I knew and it's what I saw. And it just sort of, I wouldn't say that it was expected and that no one ever pressured me to do it. And I'm really grateful for that. But it's, you know, it's, it's what I saw. Yeah. It felt familiar to you. Exactly. But still, you know, I went with that purpose of, of you know, not knowing exactly what I was going to do, but that, you know, I could do some sort of good in the world. Right. And that the experience would lead you to what you eventually wanted to do. And so now the children's books are like your creative outlet, probably. Did you ever feel like such high achieving parents and aunts and grandmother, it sounds like who was a scientist. How did that affect you? Did you feel a lot of pressure or have, do you just feel like this motivation and drive is like in your genes? You know, now looking back and now as an adult, I can probably identify moments where I pressured myself or I felt, you know, I had my own sort of standards that were based on what I was seeing that I was holding myself to. Frankly, sometimes maybe unreasonable standards around achievement and success and sort of checking boxes of doing things that I at least perceived at the time as being like an elite thing or, you know, things that were recognized as impressive there's a lot I can say about that in terms of looking back. But when I was, you know, a kid and and going through those experiences, no, I I was definitely never pressured. And I didn't feel that coming from, you know, anyone in my family, which I'm really appreciative of, right? We hear that a lot where, you know, folks are sort of pressured by their parents to be a certain thing or expected to follow in the footsteps or continue some legacy. Instead, I think it was really just an emphasis on excellence and achievement generally, right? We come from, in part, an immigrant family and education is very much emphasized. My grandparents on my mom's side were both PhDs. So that was like a huge emphasis in terms of academics and achievement. But again, it was more so like, yeah, I was expected to do well in school. I was expected to get A's, yeah. but not sort of like, oh, we want you to become a lawyer and do what your mom and aunt are doing, right? right and and right. on the flip side, they were actually incredibly supportive of you know, anything I wanted to do. My grandmother constantly was like, great, you're into painting, you're, you know, drawing, you can go spend your summers at art camp, right? If you want to cook, great, like become a chef, but you, the, the emphasis was that you have to get top training and education and be excellent and commit to something and stick with it, you know? So it was really kind of more emphasis on, on work ethic and achievement than it was. Right sort of like becoming some, you know, thing in the world. Do you feel like you are trying to do that with your kids too? I mean, I know they're so young because my parents weren't like, I went to a private school in Santa Monica. And so part of me thought that they wanted me to just do good in school because they were paying so much money. But it wasn't like I needed to get straight A's because they kind of knew my weaknesses. Like I was horrible at math and science. And so they were kind of like, if you can just be average in math and science, that's fine. But in your strengths, like we would like you to push it a little more. I would say I was like an average B student. I want Sonny. Sonny's my Mm three-year-old. I want him to be a better student than I was. And I want him to have more follow through and more work ethic, like you're saying. But I just don't know exactly like how to 
start that? Have you started that kind of parenting yet? Yeah, a little bit. I think part of it is taking a step back and really understanding what the bigger picture themes or or lessons are that you're teaching that I think in the long term will help a child to put into context what they're doing and why they're doing it. So mm-hmm. for me, that means the kind of lesson around finish what you start, right? Yeah. So I apply that even to, you know, she's doing a puzzle or a drawing and this is my older one just because she's yeah. doing more of this stuff. Uh, she's yeah. four where, you know, she's doing something and then she gets distracted and runs off and like leaves a mess or whatever. I'm very intentional about saying, Hey, Amara, you have to finish what you start, right? You started this puzzle. Uh-huh. You want to take a break. That's fine. But finish what you're doing or, right. or at least clean it up, exactly. clean it up and start something new. Exactly. And come yeah. back to it later another time. And now word from our brand partner. Peak tea is an amazing tea collection. I am obsessed with them. They deliver full spectrum health compounds from the finest teas and superfood plants to support healthy digestion, immunity, and calm energy. They are triple toxin screened for maximum purity with zero prep or brewing required. All you do is you pour in the little packet with hot water and it's done. It's so easy. I have always been confused about tea. I know that sounds crazy, but they have made it so, so easy for everybody. And they have such delicious flavors. One of my favorites is the sun goddess matcha. I know you probably heard a lot about matcha, but if you haven't, matcha is really amazing for supporting a healthy immune system. It has powerful antioxidants like EGCG, which supports healthy immune function, which is especially important right now. It's also rich in vitamins B complex, vitamin C, zinc, and more, and chlorophyll to support healthy immunity. With matcha, you drink the entire leaf. So one cup is like drinking 10 cups of regular green tea. It provides calm energy, not like crazy energy. You know, it has more ithionine than any other tea, which is also known as, quote, nature's chill pill. L-theanine balances out the jittery, anxious effects of caffeine to provide sustained energy and laser sharp focus. It's like meditation in a cup. It also supports gut health. It has fiber and prebiotic antioxidants that feed the good bacteria in your gut to keep things balanced and moving slowly. Why do I love Sun Goddess Matcha so much? Because one, it's organic. Two, it tastes delicious. And it's ceremonial grade. Most organic matcha isn't ceremonial grade and vice versa. Sun Goddess Matcha is both. It has superior quality, flavor, and purity. The highest possible purity. It's actually the first matcha to be quadruple toxin screened for heavy metals, pesticides, toxic mold, and radioactive isotopes. And it's really the only matcha I've ever had that doesn't even need milk, even though it does make for a really amazing matcha latte. It doesn't need it. I have a exclusive discount for you guys. For WithWit listeners, you get 5% off site-wide on your first purchase, and they hardly ever offer discounts. So this is big, you guys. They have a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so your purchase is completely risk-free. Go to peaktea.com, that's P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com slash WIT, and use code WIT at checkout. That's P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com slash WIT and enter code WIT at checkout to save 5% on your first order. 
Hey guys, it's Gabby from What's Gabby Cooking, and seeing as how we've all got a little extra time on our hands at home, um, hello social distancing, let's get down to business in the kitchen. Come hang every Monday while we talk about all things food and I answer your burning questions about cooking, ingredients, swaps, tips and tricks, etc. I'm also going to be highlighting super rad small businesses and we're going to be learning about other incredible makers in the food world and who even knows what else. Anything's fair game in 2020, right? What's Gabby cooking in the wild? Here we come. And now back to our chat. So, you know, thinking about how to kind of integrate that, she, and I think this is more probably on the topic of just, you know, representation. And we talked about this in terms of my becoming a lawyer. I think that's because I was able to see strong, powerful women who were lawyers in my family. I knew that I could do that. And that's what I aspire to do. In the same way, you know, she, the older one, has been saying, you know, I want to be a president when I grow up. It sort of, you know, it changes every other day. <laughs> He's saying, I want to be an astronaut because we're reading about Mae Jemison. She, you know, and I, I've shown her videos from the campaign trail and the primaries, especially of, you know, these drum lines and the little girls dancing with her aunt. And, you know, the next day she's like, I want to be a dancer, right? Yeah. And so my approach to that is, again, sort of similar to how I was raised. Like, great, you can be anything. You want to be an astronaut? Of course you can be an astronaut. You want to be a dancer? Of course you can be a dancer. But I always emphasize you have to work hard. Work hard. Yeah. Right? You're going to have to practice. If you want, you know, we'll watch ballet or something, right? And she's like, I want to be a ballet dancer, ballerina. And she'll start twirling. And she's like, see, I did it. Do you see my twirl? And I'm like, yes, that's beautiful. But also there's this very specific way and there's specific form and, you know, a, a way. Technique, technique and training. My brain yes, is not yes. Morning. But yes, the, no, you, have to, you have to actually take lessons, right? Like, yes, it's fun to twirl in the living room. But if you're serious about this, if you really want to be an actual, you know, ballerina instead of, you know, twirling in the living room, we can do that. But you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to take lessons. You're going to have to learn, you know, the proper form and the proper technique. Same thing with the president stuff. I mean, and this is also, again, kind of just universalizing around basic things that we're trying to teach them, such as, you know, she's like frustrated with her sister and not kind of communicating well with her and maybe, you know, huffing and puffing and walking away versus trying to, you know, as by the way, four-year-olds deal with Of course. Yeah. Yeah. They're not really wanting to sit and communicate. They're not like, let's get to the root of our problem. Yeah. Like they're not doing that. (laughs) But, you know, when I can, there are moments where I said, hey, Amara, you know, you've told me that you want to be a president. One of the key, you know, qualities for a successful president is being able to communicate effectively and learn how to to listen, to talk to people, to, you know, convince them of your, your position and your idea, whatever. And it's funny. I mean, now, you know, they soak up everything. But that's a huge one often that I'll use is like, hey, that's not really effective communication. How could you, you know, say that in a different way where your sister might understand or maybe, you know, try again or, you know, sit with her. Don't assume she's going to listen the first time, right? Like really working through that stuff. And now she'll like, see, mommy, I was that, I think I effectively communicated. That's so cute. But, you know, and I'm not trying to tie every single thing that they do to sort of like achievement aspiration. But I think the point is there's a lot of just like basic, I think, I don't know, foundational, you know, perspective and and approach to how you work, how you interact with others. Anyway, kids are funny. I, and and who know, whoever knows what we're doing or if it's the right thing, but it is totally see that, 
you know, she's listening. Right. And obviously it doesn't, it's not every single time that she's like paying attention, but there are these moments where it's, it's a really cute surprise. Like, oh, she was listening. Right. She's like a light bulb moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's just up to us parents like to be consistent. And I think it's hard, exactly. especially right now, because a lot of people, they've lost their patience, right? Totally. And so, especially parents. And I think that that's totally normal. And it's really hard to find that balance to know when you got to like stick with it and teach them the lessons and communicate with them and explain to them everything. And then when sometimes I have to turn my brain off every day, it's constantly shifting. There's no one way to find balance. It's just like every day figuring out what right. what is best for your kid and what's best for you. For parents, unfortunately, most of the time you kind of have to do what's just best for your kid. Like you have to sacrifice yourself a little bit until you're like, listen, I literally cannot show up for my family anymore and I need some me time or whatever. It's so important to take that. It's so important to take care of yourself. But it, it is, I think, so important right now, especially with like social action and teaching our kids and movement. It's on us to be having these conversations with them. No one else is going to do it for them, especially now when they're not going anywhere. Exactly. Like it's on us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, consistency is key. Yeah. Only, I think, ultimately to accomplish whatever you're trying to do. But also, there are certainly moments where I'm just like, oh my God, can you stop yelling at your sister? <laughs> right. I, know. But if, I, I do think that in my kind of journey with this and the way that I try to, you know, show up with that commitment and, and do it in a consistent way, if you do identify what are those thematic buzzwords, right, that you're using, they come more naturally, even in those moments when you are exhausted and don't want to learn totally. like, through a lesson, right? And so totally. there are lots of times now where I'm tired. I just want her to stop yelling at her sister or whatever. But yeah. instead of lapsing into frustration with that, I'll say, hey, is that effective communication? And I know that she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? We don't have to go through the whole thing. So right. there's other examples of that too. We talk a lot about like what it means to be a community leader. And this all came from Moana because she was very- Love Moana. Love Moana. It's the best like, movie. It's awesome. They, like lots of kids were, you know, very into it. And I was trying to figure out how do we talk about Moana? Because I, on the one hand, I think it's such a wonderful, you know, empowering movie. But on the other hand, they, she's still referred to in reference to her- father, which is like the yeah. daughter. Yeah. I was like, what do I call her? And I was like, community organizer is like doing a little too much. I don't know. I, I can do that and kind of like not super honest with my kid, you know? So I was like, okay, community leader. That's what she is. She's a community leader. So that's another thing that's come up, right? What are the characteristics of a community leader? It means that you care about your community. It means that you're nice to your community. And so there are other, you know, lessons in that. She'll say, oh, is that a community leader? And I'll say, well, I don't know. What do you think? What are the characteristics of a community leader, right? Or mm -hmm. you want to be a community leader when you grow up. Remember, that means caring about your community and communicating effectively and blah, blah, blah. So, right. yeah, I just think that when you've like identified those things, and again, it doesn't have to be like a long list. You can sort of decide, you know, what is the, one of the most important things and just stick with it. Right. Yeah. And as they yeah. get older, those things change. So I, I like your point though, which is that, I mean, we have to meet folks where they are and recognize that like, we're all just trying to make it work, but so spread so thin. Yeah. Yeah. If you do want to be intentional, you know, that's what it requires, right? You have to think about it. You have to commit to it and you have to be consistent. And now a word from our sponsor. 
Ladies, listen up. Not only do men have more life insurance than women, they have twice as much coverage. Jenny Life wants to shrink that gap. It doesn't matter if you are a working mom, single mom, expecting mom, single, or if your kids are four-legged fur babies, you still need life insurance. You need Jenny Life. I have life insurance, you guys, and I'm 35 years old. doesn't matter how old or how young you are. You need life insurance. Jenny Life makes it fast and easy for women to know their families will be taken care of with life insurance that's uniquely built for your needs. Before Jenny Life, if a pregnant woman wanted life insurance, she'd have to use her pregnancy weight, and that means higher rates. With Jenny Life, you can get your life insurance policy without blood work or unnecessary red tape, and you can do it all online from your own home, which is obviously extra important right now. They ask five simple questions, curate plans from dozens of A-rated insurance carriers, and give you a personalized budget-friendly life insurance quote in seconds. For example, a healthy 32-year-old woman can get a half million dollars in coverage for about $1 a day without ever stepping into a doctor's office. It's so good to know that if anything were to ever happen, that everything is taken care of and your kids or your husband or whoever is in your life will be taken care of. Life insurance is something every woman should have in place because every family deserves a secure financial future. So take a few minutes to get your Jenny Life policy right now. Visit JennyLife.com slash wit to get a free quote right now. That's JennyLife.com slash wit for your life insurance quote today. JennyLife.com slash wit. And now back to our conversation. So when you decided that you wanted to be a lawyer and you went to school, what was it that made you want to do that? And what kind of law did you specialize in? And what was that all about? So I actually was wanting to go straight through from college to law school. And I credit my parents with urging me to take time off. I think that they could tell that, you know, I was maybe not super into it or, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. I should go back and ask them you know, what it was in that moment. I think it was probably a combination of knowing that I had these other interests and, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. I wasn't ready, but then also I just think that it is good general advice. Right. Um, and I I agree. So anyway, I took off three years. It was supposed to be one year and then turned into three years. And in that time I worked in tech that coincided with working on the Obama campaign in 08. And I would say the Obama campaign was definitely a big influence for me and really kind of crystallizing for me what the impact could be with a law degree, right? For me, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's voter protection or policy making, right? I think I really had a, a different perspective on it, having had that experience. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what inspired me to finally, you know, go. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, I practiced privacy, data security, you know, cybersecurity law, which was really building on my experience in tech. I mean, all of my clients were big tech companies. It was cool in that it was still a new area of the law. I think. Now people are much more because it, you know, relates to Russian interference in the election and other things that are really affecting our, you know, day-to-day lives, you know, targeted ads that were all right. Alexa listening to us all the time. Timmy literally yesterday was like, Alexa, are you listening to us? And then she had like a whole explanation and was like, go to Alexa.com slash privacy to like see all your rights. And Timmy was like, does anyone ever go to that? Right. And so that's like, that was, in my opinion, now, you know, work that I was not trying to do for the rest of my life. It's like a little boring, but that's what I was doing was, you know, 
I, I say that joking, but because I think what's really fascinating about the area of the law is that we know that it can have huge consequences, again, on things like election interference. But the thing that's interesting on the consumer side is that we know that consumers almost always will prioritize, you know, convenience and happiness and joy and wh- whatever, you know, uh, the the functionality that they're getting out of an app or you know, whether it's Alexa or anything else over their privacy. I know it's so true, which is not great. But so that aspect of it and, you know, consumer protection, which is obviously a huge, important area in terms of making sure that companies are not taking advantage of users and customers. So anyway, it, it was a definitely an interesting experience and one that felt very relevant, you know, in that moment and continuing today. And it was cool that I was able to do it when it was still a pretty new area of the law. Yeah. Yeah. And then bring my kind of early experience in tech, you know, in that perspective into what I was doing from the legal perspective was pretty cool. Yeah. Are you actually practicing law now at all or not really? I'm not practicing formally now. I, my bar membership is current. Uh, <laughs> what that means is I took the California bar exam. It was like one of the most harrowing, gruesome experiences of my life. And I will never allow my bar membership to expire because I worked really hard for that shit. (laughs) So I do not formally practice, but you know, the work that I'm doing now with my company, a lot of it is related to policy, right. And, and, and social issues. And so thinking about that from, you know, the legislative perspective, the legal perspective and, and, and having that background has been hugely important. And then also, you know, I think just really basic stuff that you learn in law school and and practicing law, which is like problem solving, right? Looking at a problem or an argument from both sides and, you know, being able to communicate effectively (laughs) every day, you know, and I think being on the corporate side, things like, you know, engaging with client, client relationships, right? We do a lot of stuff with partners and it's very collaborative. So although I'm not practicing anymore and I knew, I think going into law school that it was not something I was going to want to do for the rest of my life, it has been foundational, the experience. Everything all the you're way doing through, now. Yeah. Yeah. So law school through clerking. Clerking was very formative for me in terms of really building confidence in my writing. And I think helping me to be a better writer and being precise with your words. And so it really does come down to things like messaging and, and communications, which I, I do now, of course. And then, you know, my law firm experience, same thing, right? It was one of my first sort of professional experiences in a a corporate environment as sort of like a real adult. I say that because I worked in corporate at Facebook early on, but I was like fresh out of college. It basically felt like an extension of college. I was not, there was not a lot of professional development that happened there. (laughs) So, you know, having that first professional experience was, was huge. And I feel very lucky that I had incredibly supportive bosses, I would say probably more so than you would expect in environments like that, who, by the way, they're all white men and were incredibly supportive of me, helped me to grow. And I think about that a lot in terms of conversations around support and mentorship and and what it means to be like a male ally in the workplace. I had really great role models and experiences in law before going back into tech. And now word from our brand partner. So while the holidays may look a little bit different this year, the season of giving is in full swing. Listen closely. If you have a child, a grandchild, niece, nephew, or little cousin on your holiday list, this company is for you. If you think it's impossible to get a kid to put down the cell phone or video game and do something that's good for their brain, you're wrong. It's possible. Let's talk about KiwiCo. 
KiwiCo delivers hands-on science and art projects for kids of all ages. I've been telling you guys about this for a while now. Everything needed to spark curiosity and kindle creative thinking, which makes KiwiCo the perfect gift. With KiwiCo, kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubbling chemistry experiments, and more, all from the comfort of your own home. Sunny and I have made some of the cutest things. And there's also an adult box. I just got one that's a macrame planter where you can discover the art of macrame and create custom clay pots to display in a pair of perfect plant hangers, which is so cute and something very therapeutic and calming. You guys, your child can actually get super cool hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to your door every month. And while they may be unable to go to fun places for the holidays, you can gift them a whoa, awesome experience with KiwiCo. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code WITHWIT at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo com with promo code with wit. And now back to our chat. So then you started phenomenal women action campaign when, and tell us about that and what you guys are up to. Yeah, I started it right after the 2016 election. You know, I actually was in Javits center in, in New York oh my God, I know. on election night. It was like apocalyptic. It was just one of the most awful experiences I've ever had. It was wild in that we had a, a newborn. I guess she wasn't a newborn, but we had a little baby and we had yeah. been traveling earlier in the year. And it was just sort of like, oh my God, we cannot get on another plane and go to New York for this. But at the last minute we were like, we have to go. Like this is history. Yeah. We, we, how can we not take our baby to go witness history? My mom was a senior advisor on the Hillary campaign. You know, we made like sort of a game time decision and it just flew out for 24 hours And instead of it being witnessing history, it turned into like, you know, providing moral support to my mom. And like, it was just crazy. So anyway, I literally got back to San Francisco the next day and, you know, was feeling disillusioned and definitely depressed and sort of like what the fuck just happened. But also I think, you know, feeling resilient and and feeling that, you know, fighting spirit. And there was such a huge focus on, on women, of course. And that all the headlines were like, are women going to fight back? Are women going to, you know, show up? Are women going to ever break the glass ceiling? So I really wanted to do something that was around, you know, lifting up women, you know. To show that they could. Yeah. Exactly. And that was what I was feeling. So it was a very small idea. It was just to, as you probably remember, you know, starting with the Muslim ban, which was, you know, one of the first things that Trump did when he got into office. I mean, you saw people you know, hosting these massive fundraisers for the ACLU and, you know, during the Women's March for Planned Parenthood, all these people were stepping up, right? And and doing incredible things. And so in the same way, I thought, you know, why don't I do something? I was feeling that fighting spirit and I wanted to uh, launch a fundraising campaign selling these shirts that say Phenomenal Woman, inspired by the Maya Angelou poem. And we just far exceeded our goal for the month. And it was really, you know, again, in that moment thinking like, wow, this is something that's really speaking to people. How can we keep this going? How do we grow it? And the rest is sort of history. I never thought that I would be still building it, you know, most years later, but here we are. So it's been a wild ride. Yeah. And what are you guys doing with it right now? So a lot of what we're doing and and always have done is, is really responding in urgent moments and thinking about how to use the power and influence of our platform, you know, a trusted 
platform to raise awareness around issues, especially those that affect underrepresented communities. So being nimble to respond in those moments, or for example, with the pandemic, we did a bunch of campaigns starting from, you know, farm worker working conditions. Many farm workers were not getting adequate protections, right, to continue working during COVID. We launched a big campaign to lift up the Asian American community, knowing that there was a lot of anti-Asian racism that was happening. And, and because so, of COVID, yeah. Exactly. And Trump. Incited <laughs> by, yeah, exactly. Uh, our president, uh, same thing, you know, during the BLM protests, we did a campaign around that. So that's an example of, right, responding in these moments. And then beyond that, you know, thinking about how do we continue to grow our community? How do we continue to deepen our engagement around issues that have a unique Im- impact on uh, communities of color and, and underrepresented communities? So now we're very, very focused on the election. Done a ton of collaborative products with artists and designers and activists to get out the vote and to get people, you know, fired up and excited about voting. So that's really our number one focus right now. We have a lot of cool partnerships that we're working on, and we're very, as I said, collaborative and partnership based. Amazing. Yeah, lots of cool stuff coming, and I'm excited to have sort of a clean ish. <laughs> slate for next year, hopefully. I am obsessed with your book, Kamala and Maya's oh, Big Idea. You. We actually read it to Sunny last night. I feel oh. like we're on like an every three night rotation. He loves it. He oh, loves that it. He's so happy. I think he loves the friendship aspect of it. He loves that he can actually ask something or want something to happen. And in a book, it shows that you can do it. Yeah, and it's really a really great book. I advise anyone to check it out. But what inspired yeah. you to like get into a children's book? Was it just having a kid yourself? Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was never, we spent some time today talking about, you know, ambitions and achievement and things like that. And I've always been somebody who, you know, has been on that kind of like treadmill of thinking about, you know, what like I what's to next. Yeah. yeah. And it was frankly never like on my list, which to me just makes it even more special. And it's just been an amazing journey of, you know, coming into my identity and, you know, this role as, as an author. So yeah, it was very much having kids and, you know, becoming a parent and a, a lot of different motivations, but, you know, first reading books with my now older daughter and seeing that there was such a lack of diversity in children's literature yeah. and not seeing, you know, little black girls like her represented on the pages and on, on bookshelves. So that was one piece of it. The other was, I think, very similar to my launching Phenomenal, which is, you know, in this moment, right, coming out of 2016, where I think folks are, you know, speaking up and 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 standing up and and finding their own voice and and conceiving of themselves as activists, right, and thinking about how do we raise the next generation in the same way. Yeah. And so that was also not only something that was about my own personal journey as a parent and you know raising my kids and thinking about the unique way in which I was raised and how do I kind of pass it on. But I think also, you know, being a millennial mom and, and, and being in this with other, you know, parents who I think for some of them as adults were coming into this for the first time, let alone, right. about, you know, our kids. So that right. was another thing. And then the third, I would say is it's based on a true story about my mom and aunt. And so it's obviously a very personal family story that I think is obviously inspiring for all. I hope people find inspiration from it, but that I also wanted to, you know, memorialize for my own kids and like literally pass it down to them. Yeah. 
I think it's so important because I think for a lot of parents who don't exactly know like what to say to their kids right now or how to teach them, like finding books like yours is a really incredible tool because you're kind of like doing it for them, you know, like through the story yes. of social change and th- and showing black girls in a children's book. I think that it's so necessary. I mean, I've tried to pay attention when all this stuff started happening and I started thinking about my role as a parent. I was like, yeah, I need just more representation in the house. And like, I need to be conscious of it. And books were really the first thing that I turned to for Sunny. Cause I'm like, this is the one thing that I know will really, he'll absorb, you know? And the more and more I read it, he'll like understand the more nuanced lessons that there are in it. Like he may not understand it right now, but it's just like continually telling these stories. So I love your book and Ambitious Girl. I think this is so... Thank you. Freaking cute. I love it so much. Tell me the story behind this book. Uh, Well, I quickly want to say thanks for that. I think you're exactly right. And we were talking about earlier, you know, showing up with consistency, right? And and doing it in a way that works for your, you know, family and lifestyle. And books are such an accessible, easy, frankly, way to do that, right? If you're finding books with those messages, it's something that you can commit to every night, right? Or yes, it's sort of built in for you. And and they're amazing tools, as you said, to Mm -hmm. start those conversations, to engage with, you know, some of that content. So I think that's a great point. So Ambitious Girl, similarly, I mean, it was first and foremost, my perspective as a parent and how, you know, we're raising our daughters and and what we're, you know, teaching them about their place in the world. And you asked me earlier about, you know, how I talk to them about success and and work ethic and things like that. And so this is very much a, a part of that as well. And I would say it's about lessons I learned again as a kid, which was that ambition and, you know, strong, ambitious women are a good thing, some, something to aspire to that, you know, ambition meant purpose, self-determination, you know, having a big idea and going after it, right. Having hopes and dreams and, and pursuing them. And it wasn't until, you know, I was much older that realized that we as a society tell women that, you know, ambition is like something to hide or, you know, it's like a dirty word or something, you know, you you don't want to have too much of, right. I think that we've all heard those. Or that you can't have it because if you become a mom, it's just not going to be possible. Exactly. Exactly. That point. Yeah. That somehow if you're not, you know, sort of on that, whatever corporate trajectory or you're, you know, hustling and uh, whatever your conception is of ambition, that somehow that doesn't apply, right. To stay at home moms or, you know, people doing whatever the hell they want. Right. I think that's the point. Like ambition means so many different things to different people. And that's what's amazing about it. And each of us has our own ambitions in our own ways. And we should embrace that and, and celebrate that. But I think, yeah, most importantly, we know that in, in a, you know, male dominated society, workplace, you know, whatever, we often critique women on ambition and, and other things that we just don't apply to men. Right. 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 You know, you're, you're too loud, you're too aggressive, you're too competitive, you're too ambitious. Uh, you know, I think it's sort of implying that it's like you're sharp elbowed or power hungry, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. But like this bullshit stuff that we just do not say about men. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, you know, make sure that in that way, it was sort of a reminder to me as a, a parent, like I want to teach my girls what I was taught, which is that ambition is a good thing. I want to support their ambitions, no matter what they are. And then realizing that, you know, there's some of that unlearning and unpacking that we have to do as adults, as women, as a society, understanding that, you know, what we tell women is, is in my opinion, harmful. And how do we mm-hmm. kind of 
reclaim that right in a way that is giving the the next generation you know the tools and language to you know name and claim their power and their ambition and to go into the real world you know so to speak like un, unburdened by all that you know patriarchal bullshit <laughs> yeah no and i think you're such proof that you can and i think even for me too that you can do both things right i don't know it's hard cuz some people can't really do both things because like they don't have the help or the resources. And so it feels, sometimes it feels like you're stuck. Women can be stuck if they don't have the resources, the money that they can't really fulfill their ambitions. And so it's, it's up to like the leaders of the country to make sure that women can, that the resources and the help is there for them, no matter what their, you know, socioeconomic situation is. Yeah. Thank you for, absolutely. I think, I mean, that's what the American dream is, right? That people have the opportunity to pursue their dreams. And yeah, for a lot of people, as you said, I mean, it's just living a, a decent life and being happy, right? Yeah. Those are ambitions too, to be able to just take care of your family without, all without judgment, pressures and inequities. So yeah, I think that's yeah. a very important point that, and, and, and that again, all of us are are deserving in being able to pursue and achieve our ambitions, whatever that means to us. And in particular, yeah. you know, building a society that supports women in their, and their, you know, unique needs and in, in being able to do that, which means, you know, as an example in the workplace, right. And we're seeing this now with the pandemic, especially if, you know, we know that women are more likely to be caretakers, whether it's of, you know, a child, a sick child or an elderly parent, are we creating, you know, leave policies and flexible work policies that actually support women support so that them. they can mm-hmm. play all so that they can keep both. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it comes down to just very fundamental values that I think, again, we are so lacking right now in terms of where we are as a country and that I hope we are able to fix and get out of soon, but it's also recognizing that we as a society also do the exact opposite in terms of what we teach and tell women and girls. And so it's well, yeah, doing that, you know? Yeah. And it's also important, like you were saying, I never really thought about this, but like ambitions can be anything. Some women's ambitions are to be a mom and they don't really have career goals. And that's totally fine too. Like, I think there's a lot of pressure on millennials, like on our generation to be like entrepreneurs. And I think that for some women, that's what they want. Like, I think for you and me, there's a personal need to do that. I want women out there listening to also know that if they're not as ambitious in that way towards a career, like it's okay to be ambitious towards whatever is true to them, right? Like whatever feels most true to their soul. So. And the point is being able to pursue that and realize that without men and oppressive, (laughs) sexist, discriminatory, right. Like systems getting in your way. Right. Right. I mean, for you being able to do that unhindered, unburdened by all this crap that we are aware of in society. How are you taking care of yourself right now? You've got so much going on. You are working nonstop. You have two kids. Are you doing anything for yourself in these days Uh, to like, yeah, stay sane? Kind of. I'm like notoriously bad at self-care. What I've gotten better at is just like checking in with myself and being aware of where I am in terms of my mental state, exhaustion, and being smart enough to like take that self-care wherever I can find it. I mean, you were at the beginning saying like you sat down (laughs) and how like I sat down for five minutes. 
but like, seriously, you know, sometimes it's just freaking laying horizontal for like 10 minutes if you can, and then, you know, getting right back up and getting into whatever you have to do. But so, yeah, yeah, you know, just like being aware of where I am asking myself, are you on the brink of burnout? And and I'll learn the hard way. That is not what I want to do. And, you know, stepping away when I need to in those moments, just doing what kind of feels good in in moderation, not staying up until 4am every night watching the Ozarks. But oh my God, we were watching that too. So good. So, So, you know, but like finding those small things for, and they do have to be small for me right now in terms of where I am and, you know, what, what I'm doing. Same. But also, yeah, right. Like recognizing that that's not enough and that at whatever point I, I do get sort of a bigger break that I need to take it. And I like desperately need a real vacation. I mentioned my Peloton. It's something that, you know, I've gotten a lot better. Just, you can just get 30 minutes in. It doesn't matter how you perform, just get on the yeah. bike. You know that it's, yeah. you know, like the mental clarity, you know, there's just ways that you can access it without, I think I'm naturally kind of a competitive type A person. And so mm-hmm. in the past it was like, well, like I'm not going to do the bike unless I can get 45 minutes in and I want to try to PR to like meet my you know, and now it's just sort of like, yeah, it kind of sucked if I performed really terribly. But at least you did it. But at least you did it. Just 30 minutes is nothing. You know, like you can get that 30 minutes, especially again, I'm at home. It's I'm staring at it right now in between meetings, like just don't do it. Like I have to yeah. myself, you know, so that's, I think where I've gotten better. This relates to the whole thing about just like whatever's in your control. So for me, it's like just drinking a shit ton of water. <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm taking care of, you know, I'll put like that's great on my bathroom sink and just kind of chug water whenever I remember to knowing that that is good for me. Yeah. It's kind of very low standards at the moment for yeah, but it's sort of like wherever I can get it and and just being aware, you know, that like I need it and yeah, checking in with myself to make sure that I'm not like totally killing myself. Yeah, that's important. I mean, at, then after the next couple of weeks, hopefully you can take a little breather. Hopefully I things, hope that is hopefully things. Hope. Yeah, will turn out for the best and you'll be able to sleep at night knowing that you've done everything that you could do and you can take a little breather yeah. and know that the country is in better hands. Let's crossing our fingers. Yes. Okay. So where can everybody find you, your books, phenomenal women, everything? Yeah. So gosh, there's so many websites now. Uh, (laughs) I'm at Nina on Instagram, M-E-N-A. I'm on Twitter. My books can go to phenomenalgirl.com. And you can actually, I think through phenomenalgirl.com, you can access both books. They are available wherever books are sold. Kamala Maya's Big Idea is obviously already on shelves and Ambitious Girl is already on pre-sale. You can order it now. Please shop local if you can. Independent bookstores need our support. They are still struggling really hard. So if you are able to, please shop at an indie. And yeah, Ambitious Girl comes out very soon, actually, in January. So, so exciting. Order. And yeah, thank you so much for having me and, and thanks for supporting my book. And <laughs> I just appreciate all the love. I really appreciate it. Oh my it. gosh. My pleasure. It was such an honor to be able to chat with you. You're so inspiring. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney E. Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.